Well, this morning, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, for the first time in about three years, we're going to be passing the plates for the Lord's Supper. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. I'm with you. I was ready to bring it back myself. I really was. Uh, we will still be using the, uh, the little self-contained uh, elements until we've used all those. Once we've done with those, then we'll go back to, to the traditional way we've always celebrated the Lord's Supper. Uh, here at Parkway, if you're visiting and you don't know how we practice communion, uh, we practice open communion, uh, which means if you're not a member of the church, you can still participate. Uh, that's no problem. And, and, we, and I've always just in, in, in our ministry, as Angie and I have, have served in different churches, we always leave the, uh, the children or the, or the students, that's up to the parents' discretion uh, as to whether or not you let them celebrate the Lord's Supper. So um, some may ask where the Lord's Supper comes from. Uh, every time that I have the, the, uh, the privilege of, uh, of preaching and doing the Lord's Supper, I try to give just a brief overview uh, in case there's someone here today that doesn't know where the Lord's Supper comes from. So if you'll join me for just a second, we'll do that. First of all, the Lord's Supper is recorded in all three synoptic gospels. That would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then in John, it's different. In John, what do we have in the Gospel of John? We don't have the Lord's Supper. We have the what, Brandon? The foot washing, right. So just remember that. It's, re it's really an interesting, an interesting truth that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have the Lord's Supper, but in the book of John, you actually have the foot washing uh, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, probably right after uh, they celebrated the, Lord, the Lord's Supper, celebrated the Passover meal. So the festival of Passover was the feast that Jesus fulfilled and transformed into what we celebrate today as his church. So again, the question, what is the Passover? Well, if you'll take your Bible and just go to Exodus for just a second, we're not gonna be here long. I just wanna give you just a, just a brief overview of this uh, so you know exactly where this is coming from. Uh, Exodus 12 through 13, what you have here is the nation of Israel has been in bondage uh, to Egypt for, for hundreds of years. And God has raised up Moses and his brother Aaron to go to uh, Pharaoh and to, to, to put plagues on them, on Egypt, to bring them to the point of desperation and brokenness to allow Israel to finally leave. And so they give all these plagues, but the final plague is the one that does it. And the final plague is the Passover. So if you look with me at uh, chapter, Exodus chapter 12, and I'm just going just to read a little bit. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months, shall be the first month of the new year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall, take, make, you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse five, your lamb shall be without what? Blemish. What that basically means is that they can't pick the worst one out of the flock to sacrifice, right? I mean, that would be something that, that we would probably do is, is give God the scraps, right? We should never give God the scraps, Amen. We give God our best. And so for this particular sacrifice for Passover, which is gonna be freedom from death, it, the, the God asked that that lamb be without blemish. That will transfer over to Jesus because he was a man that was without blemish, meaning he was a man without what? 
sin. Exactly. So, fo- so follow that. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or of the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on with fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water. Doesn't that sound just yummy, amen? But roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. In other words, eat it in a way when you're ready to what? Be ready to go, exactly. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 13 The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will do what? I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, so that's, that's where this comes from. And God told them that, that happened. The death angel came over, and there was death all in Egypt. And then that would be the key event that would cause Pharaoh to finally say what? Get out of here, right? So Israel packs up and they, and they head out. Now we know the rest of the story, the Pharaoh changed his mind, chased after him, the, the uh, Red Sea and all that. But now what I want you to do is, is just follow with me and then fast forward a thou, about a thousand years. Okay, fast forward about a thousand years. Jesus comes and begins his ministry. And in the final year of his ministry, he enters into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover week, which we will celebrate when? Come on, Baptists. Next Sunday. Can I get a witness? That's a good place where Colton, amen? Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Am I wrong on that? Okay. So that's the Sunday, next Sunday, somebody, or you know, in history, in past history, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, hailed as Messiah, he allowed himself to be hailed as Messiah and allowed himself to fulfill the Zechariah prophecy of the Messiah, of Israel's Messiah coming in riding a what? Not only a donkey, but a what? Baby donkey, okay? Even worse than a donkey, right? Just a baby donkey. So just remember all that. So a thousand years, Jesus comes, begins his ministry, the final year of his ministry, he enters into Jerusalem at the beginning of what week? Passover week. At the beginning of Passover week, he celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples. Mark 14, 22 through 25 says, and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 
So we were at the Exodus. We saw the Passover lamb and the blood put over the doorpost. We fast forward all the way to Jesus Christ. He takes the Passover feast. He says it's fulfilled in himself. He will not drink again until, until the, final, the final supper of, of, the, of the Son of God with, with the Father and with the, with the complete commensurate of, of the church of Jesus Christ. So that's where we are. So then fast forward a few years from there. From that moment after Jesus is crucified and buried and raised from the dead. Fast forward a little bit from there and you meet this rabbi. This bloodthirsty rabbi named what? Who? Saul of Tarsus. And Saul is ravaging the church. Which means he is persecuting the church. He is chasing down Christians. He is putting them in jail. They are being stoned to death. There is just this mass execution and persecution of the Christian faith led by Saul of Tarsus. Until one day, when Saul goes to the synagogue and he gets letters from the leaders of the synagogue and permission basically from them and authority from them to, to widen the persecution to a place called Damascus. So Saul is on his way to Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, the resurrected Christ who is in heaven comes from heaven and puts Saul in the dirt and blinds him. And begins a process in him that will change him and turn him into one of the most powerful Christian missionaries the world has ever known. Paul the Apostle is how we know him. He would eventually go to a place called Corinth. And the church that would be born there remain riddled with all types of problems. Paul wrote them multiple times to try to correct their errors and their misunderstandings of Christianity. And this is the part about this that I love, and this is why I use this passage for Lord's Supper just about every time I do the Lord's Supper anywhere I am. Because Paul takes this, this feast that he has now transformed into his Lord's Supper, and he uses it for two primary purposes. The first purpose is just like he said, to do this in what? Remembrance of me. When you do this, remember that I love you, I came for you, I died for you, I defeated death for you, I raised from the dead, and now I am the right hand of the Father, and I will eventually come back to get you. Remember all of that. But at the same time, there's something else that you need to remember, and what is that? You are my people. You are my children, and as you live in this world, you are to represent me well. And one of the ways that the world will know that you were mine is for your love that you have for who? One another. One another. And Corinth had a big problem with that. There was division in Corinth, a lot of division, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of theological issues in Corinth, which created a lot of division. A lot of division based on idolatry of leadership. And so Paul gets this word and he writes them. And one of the things that he does and he uses as a corrective measure is he uses the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is a, it is a celebration. It is a time of, of harmony. It is a time of unity. It is a time for us to reflect on God's goodness and what he has done for us corporately throughout history and what he is doing for us in our own lives today. Can I get a witness? Amen. So when it comes to the Lord's Supper, there should not be disunity. There should not be fighting 
and dissensions in the church. But in Corinth, there was. And in most churches today, there's something going on somewhere behind some closed doors. Can I get a witness, Baptist? Right? But Jesus says, Paul says, Jesus says through Paul, it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 30 some odd verses, he, he uses the Lord's Supper, turn there with me now, he uses the Lord's Supper to help them understand how they're supposed to treat each other and how they're supposed to be in unity. So let's look at this together, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, ouch, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but what? It's hard to believe, and I say this every time I preach on this, it's just like, it's like the G.I. Joe with the string in his neck. You know, y'all have that toy growing up? It, it, it's, it's the same thing. It's hard to believe. It is hard to believe that coming to church could actually make you worse off than if you had not gone. Amen? But Paul is saying that's what's going on in Corinth. People are coming to church to worship and be together but when they leave, they're hurt. When they leave, they're discouraged. When they leave, they, they feel, they feel dis, dis, disassociated and disconnected to the church. Something is wrong here in Corinth. Because when you come together, it is not for better, but for the worse. For in the first place, he says, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. That's not a fun word. In the army and in the military, that's a great word. I mean, you want as many divisions as possible. In businesses, you want as many divisions as possible. But when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, division is a bad word. We don't need to have divisions. What do we need to have? Unity, exactly. We're all a family. And as you well know from experience, just like I do, there's nothing, there's nothing that can scar you deeper and hurt you more than a, than a family squabble that can leave deep, deep, hurtful scars in your life. Can I get a witness? We don't need that in the church of Jesus Christ. And that's Paul's point. And I believe it in part, Paul says, that these divisions exist for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you be recognized. So one, one side of this division is going to be right. One side of this division is going to be wrong, he says. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. That had to sting. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Now, we know proper etiquette. What are you supposed to do when everybody's eating together? What are we supposed to do? Wait till everybody gets their food, then eat, right? I think it's, if it's hot, if it's served hot, I think you can go ahead and eat. But, but you should always wait on one another if at all possible. And that's Paul's point here. One goes hungry, he says. Can you imagine that? Somebody going hungry at a Baptist church? Give me a witness. Can you imagine that? Well, then Corinth, it was happening. That tells you how far off the rails Corinth was, amen? A Christian going hungry, one goes hungry, another gets, say it, yeah, drunk, what? That's Paul, not me. There's an exclamation point there. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? In other words, if you're going to be selfish about it and you're going to go overboard, don't come to the assembly and do it. Where do you stay? Stay home and just be a glutton all to yourself. But don't bring that into the holiness and, and, the, and the love 
and the, the sanctity of the church of Jesus Christ, don't do it. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those that have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? Shocking, no, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do this in remembrance of me, but remember who you are and how to treat each other so you show the world who you are and that you are my kids. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. That sounds scary. Let a person examine himself. And I love, I love, I love that word, examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Did y'all hear that? But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry or if you can't wait, in other words, eat at home before you come so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when... I come. Wait on one another, love one another, sacrifice for one another, be in harmony together, consider the needs of others more important than your own. We, 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 follow, we follow those words from our Lord Jesus Christ. We will never have factions and, and dissensions and divisions in our church or any church we go to. I mean, one of the bedrock principles of Christianity is to love your who as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them what? Do unto you. So remember these principles, my brothers and sisters, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this warning, I'll give you, I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes here in just a moment and let you examine yourself as I always do before we take the body and blood of the Lord because we want to examine ourselves properly. We want to come before the table of the Lord with the purest heart possible. You know, back many, many, many years ago, you can read uh, church history, when Lord's Supper Sundays came along, it was a really, really serious thing. And what I mean by that is, is that probably a month before they would have the Lord's Supper, if anybody in the congregation knew of squabbles that were going on in the church between fellow believers, the leadership of the church would reach out to those individuals and say, look, before this Lord's Supper, you need to go and make your relationship right with so-and-so. And why would they do that? Because they took verse 30 very seriously. That is why some of you are weak and ill and some have what? Yeah, could you imagine if you had some people fall out dead at the Lord's Supper, would that get a bunch of people right with God, amen? I mean, seriously, they took that seriously. 
So the leadership did not want to see people dying during the Lord's Supper because there was deep, unresolved bitterness and issues in their life. And so they pushed those in the church that they knew had issues with church members, other church members in the church to seek them out and to reconcile with them, if at all possible, before they came to the table of the Lamb. I have known people in my life, throughout my life, who the Lord's Supper time has come, and they have abstained abstained from taking the Lord's Supper because there was a relational issue in their own life that they had not been able to work out to a point to where they felt free in conscience to take the Lord's Supper before Jesus Christ. That's fine. That's fine. I will give you one word of, of advice is that there is no way to come before this, this, this supper in complete and total perfection. You do understand that, right? Amen? But you do need to search your heart Search your heart, and that's what we give you three minutes for. It's not a lot of time. It's just not a lot of time, but, but during that time, as you close your eyes and try to, try, to, try to clear your mind, the Lord will bring things to you. The Spirit will bring things to you, and if you will just repent in the quietness of your heart, God will hear you, and God will forgive you. You do believe that, amen? Yes. So let's take this time. Let's give three minutes. And after that, deacons that uh, are going to help with the Lord's Supper today, when we're done, uh, I will call you down and we will, we will begin.